0: Hi, I'm Matt Williams. Welcome to Glimpses, the podcast where we talk about life, love, creativity, and all that spiritual stuff. My guest today is the indomitable and charismatic Thomas Keown, founder and CEO of Many Hopes. Thomas was born in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. He was educated at Queen's University, Belfast, and worked for one of the two Nobel Prize winning signatories of the Belfast Peace Agreement. He is a former columnist. His career has spanned the media, politics, for-purpose missions in the UK, USA, Africa, and Latin America. Thomas, welcome to Glimpses. Oh, wow. Thank you, Matt. Uh, indomitable and charismatic. Can we say that again? That would be great. I've okay, never... he's indomitable and he's charismatic. You know, that's the second time in my life I've heard that, so, okay. uh, so thank you. He's al- also a little Irish. There's a little bit of Irish in there. Just on my uh, mother's side, father's side, and by birth. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about many hopes. Um, The mission, and I pulled this from your site, equipping Mm. children to become men and women who break cycles of injustice. That is a noble cause. How do you do that?
1: That's a a big vision, to be sure, and a big question, to be sure. So uh, how long do we have? You have a lot Uh, of time. uh, Let it rip. That's a relief. (laughs) Many hopes... I suppose for a, for a non-profit organization, uh, we, make a, we make a bold, somewhat say peculiar proclamation for how we will do that. We tell people very clearly, we as a charity will not solve any of the, the big problems of the world. We won't defeat any of the giant injustices of the world. What we will do is raise and equip local children who've survived them, who will do that. So the heart of many hopes is rescuing survivors, rescuing children from situations of injustice and abuse. That could be modern day slavery, uh, sexual abuse, trafficking, simple abandonment and grinding poverty of street life and walking with them for the long road all the way until early adulthood when they're ready for college, entrepreneurship or employment and and a flourishing adult life. Success for many hopes looks like in any community where we have ever worked, the day will come when outside charity isn't necessary there because local survivors are fighting and winning the battles against injustice
0: where they are themselves. And the primary way you do that is through education. That's why I'm so attracted to Many Hopes. Talk about the schools because you're in what, six different countries now? We're in six different locations, three in
1: Latin America and three on the continent of Africa, uh, Ghana, Malawi and Kenya and Guatemala, Bolivia and Peru. And while there's no one single solution to any of the very complex issues and injustices that we battle, of all of the things that we provide, all the tools we provide to any child we encounter, education is the, the number one, two and three when we meet any child in any street or any abuse situation anywhere, and they have, let's say, no, no food, no shoes, no family, no home, and we ask them, is there, is there, what do you want? The answer is almost always the same. Take me to school. Uh, and our model of school is not what perhaps when you hear a charity guy talk on a podcast about building schools, our schools probably aren't what you think of well, what, what are they? Of what the explain that. School bills. <laughs> we, would, we like to think of our schools as a school that you would send your children to. We're all about ra- raising up change makers in their own local communities, which requires schooling of a quality that you don't just become an adult who subsists, but an adult who influences. A school that gives a child a real shot at getting to college or being an entrepreneur one day. So and it.
0: then possibly... Coming back and giving back, correct? Not only possibly, but almost certainly.
1: Good. Uh, every, I mean, the, the very heart of many hopes is that children who've survived, let's use a real practical example, children who have survived modern day slavery have a unique perspective on that problem. They have a tenacious desire to do something about that but they lack access to the tools that they need to act on that desire. And education is the primary tool. So what we see is in the heart, children have the heart and desire to fix the brokenness in their own community, not depend on outsiders to do so. They just need education to enable them to do that. So we see children from eight, nine, ten years of old, ten years of age saying, I wanna be, I wanna be a doctor, I wanna be a journalist, I wanna be. A psychologist, I want to run a home like this. I want to work here. They have a desire to to give to others what they receive from from many hooks and others. And
0: I think you, you touched on something. It's very important you get them, if you can, when they're young. Because I, wouldn't you say it, 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 the younger you can get the children off the street, out of enslavement, out of poverty, and into school, the better their chances of succeeding? Reaching a child early, Uh, we try to start at six
1: years old or below for a couple of reasons. One, if you're bearing the goal in mind, the goal is to equip that child to become an adult of influence. If you're 15 and have never received any schooling, you've got a lot to catch up to, Uh, number one. But number two, one of the greatest weapons that those who oppress the the weaker and the marginalised use is is despair. They condition folks to believe there's nothing I can do. Things will never be different. There's no point in me trying to make something different. But the but we know that's not true. We're made in the in the image of our Maker with immense immeasurable value and unlimited potential. So reaching a child early, before despair or I can't sets in, and unlocking the I can do that uh, is it's 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 miraculous and it's beautiful to get a glimpse of.
0: I like you the fact that you used the word glimpse, <clears throat> but I want to talk about your origin story. Mm. I, I, I know what inspired the uh, a n- d- divine nudge, the first little spiritual nudge to start Many Hopes, and it's a story about gift. Mm. I know that story, but would you please share it with the, with the listeners? So often... When I'm introduced, as I was uh, on this podcast today,
1: it's Thomas Cohn is the founder of Many Hopes. Within Many Hopes, we consider a six-year-old girl to be our founder, and her name is Gift, or Zawadi in Swahili. When Gift was six years old, she had lost, she didn't know her father and she lost her mother to HIV. She was wandering the streets of Mombasa, the second largest city in Kenya, begging for food, carrying on her back her infant brother, unaware that he was dead already while she carried him around in the street. And a friend of mine, a journalist, I was at that time a very keen amateur journalist, a very good Kenyan journalist, encountered Gift in the street and thought two things. He thought, number one, this isn't right. Children should not be begging for food on the streets of my country aged six, never mind, with dead siblings on their backs. And number two, I am a a man of influence in this community and country, and I'm not using my influence at the moment for anything that's not myself. I'm gonna change that. So this man took gift into his house. He hired a a woman to take care of her. He was at work all day, and began to raise gift as his daughter. And I, in my keen amateur journalism, came back, and I I used to write a weekly opinion column that ran in Boston, New York, and Philadelphia. And I used it that Wednesday to write the single most sanctimonious and pious piece of prose I've ever produced on the subject of sacrifice. Just asking people like me at that time in the 20s and 30s to think about using some of our time and our talent and our network and our money to benefit someone that wasn't us. And I used in the last paragraph a reference to that Kenyan journalist and gift, and that sparked an outpour or an inpour of letters from readers in those three cities saying, we want to we meet the writer. We want to meet you. We want to meet the Kenyan. We want to do something. So we got them all together one night in a room. Today, hey, each of you bring three people. I'll bring six and let's see what happens. And Many Hopes was born that night based on my observation of a great injustice, of the sacrifice of one man who did something extraordinary, taking someone into their home and three the response of
0: readers to the power of story. That is so important that you said one person started this. Because I think sometimes we get overwhelmed when we look at all the suffering in the world. We throw up our hands and go, what can I do? And this gentleman, this one person, took one child into his home and look at the movement that started. He took one
1: girl into his home just because there was a need right there. That he felt I should meet, and I have the ability to meet. He had no idea and no plan for what that would lead to. Right. But that's led to many hopes now serving 1,100 children every year in six countries. That is why Gift is our founder, and that is the power of one person doing one thing. You have, we have never any idea what one word we say to someone, one word we don't say, or one thing we do or don't do can have. It can. It can be truly. Truly transformative and eternally transformative.
0: I believe that with all my heart. Now, also, I would like for you to talk about James, Mm. the amazing James. And his story is pretty incredible because he did come back and he gave back. So sometimes
1: when people will ask, what does Many Hopes do? The best way to explain that isn't the theory. It's just with with a story. James is our partner leader in the country of Ghana, West Africa. James was sold as a, six. so bit of context in Ghana. Uh-huh. There's a place in Ghana called Lake Volta. Lake Volta is the largest man-made or human-made lake in the world by surface area. And it's the epicenter or the center. I never know the difference between center and epicenter. Whatever's the difference.
0: It's a big lake. It's a
1: big lake. And Very it's the big. epicenter okay. of the uh, child's, let me, let's do this again. Um,
0: <laughs> let me start. I'll, I'll just ask you. Yeah. Um, I know the story about James, mm. and it's a pretty incredible story. Um, we good, guys? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know the story about James, but could you share that with the mm. listeners? Because his story is, um, is rather remarkable. James' story is a perfect example
1: of why Many Hopes exists and the potential for what can happen. Uh, when James, James lives in Ghana, in West Africa, he's the leader of Many Hopes' partner there. When James was six years old, he was sold into child slavery in the country of Ghana. There's a place called Lake Volta, which is the largest man-made, or human-made lake in the world by surface area. And it's the centre of the commercial fishing industry in the country of Ghana, powered by child slaves. There are 21,000, estimated 21,000 children Working on fishing boats on that lake, because it costs less to buy a child than it costs to buy a fishing net. Fishermen buy children to dive off the sides of boats into murky waters to untangle nets that are tra- that are trapped in trees, because it's a man-made lake. Children don't know what they're diving into. They lose their eyes and they lose their lives diving in to untangle nets. And it makes sense for the slave masters because they cost less to buy than Annette does. James lived that life for seven years. He was one of those boys. James was sold into slavery there was one of those boys at the age of six Uh for seven years. At age 13, James escaped. He jumped into the trunk, I would say boot, he jumped into the trunk of a car aged 13 and got away at a funeral and got away. He went through elementary school, went through high school, was brilliant, had an extraordinary mind, got to college, was hired by Barclays Bank and no one would have blamed James after all he'd been through if he'd lived a nice, comfortable life, but he didn't. After a few years at Barclays, he quit to go back to the lake he was enslaved on to rescue other children still there. And since then, James has rescued just over 1,800 other children, and some of them have now begun doing the same for others. That's an example of what Many Hoops is about. We believe, at the moment, James is a, a once-or-twice-in-a-generation story Why not 1,000 in a generation? Why not
0: 10,000 in a generation? That's what we're about. That changes the conversation. I I know the story, and I still get chills when I hear it. Yeah, I get chills every time I hear this story because it is a a perfect example of not just dumping money or charity on people. It goes back to your mission to empower them, to make a life, and then to give back to others. It is our core belief, right at the heart of many hopes,
1: A core belief is that real change, real change that lasts and transforms has to come from inside that has to come from inside a person inside a community or inside a country outside help necessary often maybe at the beginning maybe along the road somewhere but ultimately it comes from within so we partner with people inside and equip them to do what they want to do they don't want to receive charity forever <laughs> there's no there's no dignity in that they want to solve what they they want to solve the brokenness around them they just a little bit of partnership early on enabled them to do that.
0: Well, I, I want to talk, uh, cause you say what's inside. I want to talk uh, a little bit of what's inside you. Mm. You grew up in Northern Ireland during the troubles. That means barbed wire barricades and armed guards on the street. How did that impact what you're doing today? Mm. I did. I grew up in a,
1: on a small sheep farm outside a small town in the small country of Northern Ireland. Uh, life was a strange contrast of, of the, the beautiful and the the barbaric. I suppose it was the middle of a 30 year, pretty bloody conflict that we euphemistically call the troubles. Yes. I think my background in Northern Ireland during the troubles has, I draw upon that experience. That experience inspired what many hopes is about today. and, And here's how I saw lots of horrible things happen to innocent people innocent families everyone knew somebody who lost a cousin a brother a mother a father Uh, we all knew someone and that can i was angry as a teenager i thought i was those people are the enemy and those people are not you just grew up inheriting that division those attitudes and you can go one of two ways you can think hateful thoughts and remain resentful and bitter and be part of the problem or you can think maybe there's something can be different maybe there doesn't have to be unfortunately because of my family background a very loving idyllic sheep farming family uh i went that way i went that route of solutions i ended up working for one of the two uh, political parties that architected and signed the peace agreement i was irrelevant in that i was a college age young fella who mostly wrote speeches that were that were rolled up and brandished for emphasis more often than they were read out. <laughs> but to be close to something like that, to be close to a peace agreement that changed a 30-year conflict into not, taught me the lesson that we carry into many hoops today. And that is seemingly unsolvable, seemingly intractable problems can be solved if enough people bring their individual influences to bear upon them. And we carry that into many hopes today. It had to come from inside Northern Ireland. We needed some external help And lots of people from all across society who have different gifts, abilities, and capacities all had to come together to make something special happen.
0: Okay, so Northern Ireland, you travel the world, you're all over the world with many hopes. Mm. You meet a lot of people and you talk about, you know, there's compassion, there's barbarity. you, You see all sides of life. Deep in your soul, do you believe people are inherently good or evil? We have to choose one or the other. All right. Well, that's very dualistic thinking, I realize. But uh, there, most of us are a combination of all of these mm-hmm. various emotions. But I guess what I'm getting at is glimpses. And mm. this is the book that I've written um, about finding little glimpses of oh, God yeah. in the world. And by God, I'm not talking about you know the white-haired being. I'm talking about moments of grace, unexpected mm. kindness, compassion, tenderness. What you just described in Gift and James... A moment of tenderness, a moment of grace, Mm. transformed lives and created an entire movement. Do you see glimpses in your travels? Mm -hmm. Do you see glimpses of God when you go about the world? I see glimpses of God
1: almost every day, but not as often as I would like to. Okay. Uh, Fundamentally, I mean, I believe we were created in the image of God, so we have we're created in the image of good and love, and we. The the pace and the noise of life can drown that out sometimes. But if we stop and look and slow down a little bit, it's there. I'm wearing a little bracelet right here that was given to me by one of the children in Many Hopes Kenya uh, program called Faith. He doesn't have anything, but uh, she just wanted, out of somewhere within her, just wanted to do something nice for someone. There was no upside for her, right? She just came up and gave me this as I left one day saying, uh, seeing what some of our seeing what some of our children some of the children in each of our programs do for each other out of out of absolute lack is is humbling when I contrast it to sometimes the lack of doing those things for each other when i'm back here and we live in in abundance, but it's just moments of joyful human interaction seeing. So I grew up in the church. Uh huh. And one of my favorite Bible uh, passages is from, from the book of Kings in the Old Testament, where Isaiah, Isaiah where Elijah is in a cave and uh, he's, he's hiding. He's on the run, in fact. And the text reads uh, there was a mighty wind that, that, that broke the mountains and shattered the rocks, but God wasn't in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle whisper, or some translations say a still small voice. Most of what Many Hopes does in in its existence is be a still small voice to children. We see children be a still small voice to other children every day, saying things like, it's not always going to be like this. It's, it gets better. I was, I was once there. Uh, it's it's going to be all right. Uh, I see glimpses of majestic beauty from time to time. I was in Alaska once. I had the privilege of traveling to Alaska. and I never felt smaller, but I also never felt more grateful. Of, I get to live in this world that's got spectacular things of just immense size and beauty that when my head's down at a keyboard, I forget about. Yes. Or... Or I think of Moses and the burning bush and you think, well, how slow and patient must Moses have been living to notice that bush is burning, but not burning away. Uh, you, <laughs> when you
0: walk slowly enough, you see things that you yeah. don't when you rush. You, you talk about listening to that still small voice and um, I call it the spirit voice or you can call it the true voice. It's that voice that lives inside you that never lies, but you made a good point in order to hear that voice, you have to be still, you have to be quiet. And the world conspires against that. How do, how do you find time to be quiet and listen to that still voice inside? It's very difficult. Uh, I don't find time for it. I have to
1: make time for it. And that's a deliberate choice that I don't always succeed at making every day, but I try to, I mean, just by drilling, like the logical side of my brain knows some things that it wants to make sure it acts out. Like, love and hurry are not really compatible. So it's, it's hard to do both of those things. So I know that, and I want to be more loving than I want to be rushed, so I, I choose. I think it was it was it Pascal that said uh, the main problem, one of the biggest problems in the world is man's inability to sit alone in his room quietly. Yes. Uh, so I try to do that, and I, just, I start small. I used to start with 10 minutes a day of just sitting still, not reading, not just, just sitting still with my thoughts. And then I try to grow that up to an hour now, but it's very difficult.
0: Well, I think it's imperative. I think, I think in order to create, I think in order to pray, to connect, to tap into whatever we want to label that entity, that infinite intelligence, God, whatever, we have to sit still. We have to be quiet. Yeah, I mean, two of the most difficult spiritual disciplines for me are the two of silence
1: and solitude. I like people. I like to talk to people. I like to, I like to entertain people. Uh-huh. Uh, I like a good laugh, but what without deliberately choosing Moments of silence and solitude. I'm a, I'm a worse person.
0: Uh, well, let me ask you about that because I want to know. You, you know, you see suffering. You, you're constantly helping children. What do you do to get a laugh? What do you do for fun? What's, what's your idea of something that gives you joy? Oh, I mean, I love. If I say football, that will suggest the ball is the wrong shape. But
1: sport, football and cricket give me, give me joy and delight. But the uh, main thing, is people. It's, it's. Banter, puns, uh, fun, chat.
0: I just, I'm very fond of. That's not Irish at all. No, that's, Irish <laughs> that's that I not imagine. Irish at all. No. <laughs> I mean, it's. Banter uh, and puns and chats and. It, and <laughs> it, it doesn't
1: sound much like a hobby, but it wasn't a question about hobbies. It was what, what, what brings, brings you life joy? And
0: yeah, just having
1: conversation with people. Conversation, and uh, I mean, its you don't have to spend long back home in chat with somebody, no matter what's happening, or someone to crack a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just. It just feels good. Yeah. A wise man once said, if I can make someone smile every 24 hours, I've achieved a great deal. So uh, I try to have a go at that. That's great. Uh, and then I'm married. I should say, in case you're listening, uh, my wife brings me great joy. My Does thrilling- she make you smile? Does oh. she tell
0: puns? She's not so, uh, mm-hmm. she's
1: not so, I, I bring, we have a wonderfully complimentary relationship. So I bring more puns to the relationship than she does. Uh, but- uh, She brings yeah, the gravitas.
0: She, she, she okay. makes me
1: laugh. She doesn't mean to sometimes, <laughs> okay. but, but she does. And, uh, you know, glimpses of things, it just occurs to me when I talk to my wife. She made us get a dog. I okay. Didn't, I didn't want to get a dog. But uh, she. I, I'm glad, Mabel, if you're listening, I'm glad we have you now.
0: But uh, we got a dog, three-legged dog. My wife made me get a dog. Ah, well, and you, it's probably the best thing she's ever done. We have, so <laughs>
1: w- when I see that dog run around uh, the park, just looking at the happiest, most carefree thing alive, something... That triggers a that triggers a joy impulse. Good. It's such
0: a simple thing. <laughs> oh, that's that's freedom right there. Let's talk about the school in Kenya. Uh it's pretty special what just happened. You want to talk about it?
1: It is. We the first school that many hopes built through our Kenyan partner was completed in 2017, opened early 2018, performed very well in 2021, but in 2022. Our first school in Kenya was the top performer in the coast region in the end of year exam results. It was the, the number one, which was... Ast-
0: That's astounding. It truly astounding.
1: is. We're, we were, can you be proud and humble at the same time? I hope so, because we were. Yeah. Uh, and the vision of that school is children from a place of material poverty and children from a place of material privilege are learning and learning to lead together. It, and uh, they're brought together they're in brought this together. school.
0: And my understanding is those ha- who have a need, uh, that many hopes covers the cost of the school and those that can't afford school pay for it, correct? So the schools that we build, they, they sustain themselves eventually because uh, more affluent
1: families right. are paying fees for their children to receive an excellent education. And those are enough to fund the primary mission of our school providing access to education
0: for those who can't afford it. So it's a big year. I want to talk about your faith. Um, this is a quote I pulled off one of the sites, his being you, his belief that seemingly intractable problems can be solved by bringing in the right influences to bear on them stem from his Christian faith. Now, the word Christian is a trigger for a lot of people these days, Mm -hmm. because when they hear Christian, they think Bible-thumping, intolerant, (laughs) misogynistic, judgmental, self-righteous. But I always bend it back to, let's talk about the humble carpenter, who basically said, be kind to each other, be compassionate, help the poor, do unto others. Let's talk a little bit about your faith.
1: Yes, yeah, so, so I, became a, I became a Christian, is the, word, the phrase, I think, okay. that, that may trigger people, at, uh, at age six by saying a prayer okay. in Northern Ireland to invite Jesus into my heart. And for the next 12 years, nothing was any different, except I was pretty boring on an interesting teenager <laughs> thinking, yeah, I've got a ticket to heaven here and if I don't do bad things, I'll be fine after I die. That was religion. Uh, I make a pretty sharp distinction between religion and faith. Yes. Religion is doing the same thing. Maybe it's a belief system or it's doing the same thing over and over again. He went to the bakery religiously on a Thursday. Faith is the is a belief and a relationship with a with a living God. And that happened for me when I was in university. When okay. I saw the example of of my peers, three three men I lived with in particular, who were living deep, rich, meaningful lives of relationship with God, or relationship with Jesus. I thought, I want that. And uh, I think we, whatever people hear Christian, particularly in America, I yes. think American, in air quotes, Christianity, looks quite a bit different quite often from New Testament biblical Christianity. You read the New Testament, read the gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. Who were Jesus' two main enemies? The devil and the religious people. <laughs> right. Uh, those were the those were the those were the two struggles. Yep. So uh, I'm not about religion, about faith, a living relationship with with a living God that we we, we talk to each other, we hear from each other.
0: Uh, I it's I can't imagine living any other way, honestly. Well, you know, one of the things I'm always intrigued with um, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, who wrote on death and dying, said there are two primary emotions that drive us through life, fear and love, and you can't have them simultaneously. And so instead of love being the opposite of hate, love is the opposite of fear. In my favorite Bible is, perfect love casts out mm-hmm. fear. So that gets confusing, because when you talk about being a six-year-old child, we were taught, you must fear the Lord, but love God. Well, Mm -hmm. how can I love someone, something, this entity that I'm fearing? And that Mm -hmm. didn't make sense. So to me, I thought, there is no fear in love. Uh, It's cast out. Um, There is no fear. Love conquers fear. And I think Many Hopes is an example of that. This loving environment that's created, the fear that these children live in, poverty, abuse, slavery... Gradually that fear is abolished because there's so much love and it's not religious You're not pounding them over the head with the Bible You're simply treating them with dignity and love and that fear diminishes Mm -hmm. Is that an honest assessment of what you do? That's a pretty accurate summary. I
1: love that Bible verse also perfect love casts out fear or drives out fear and And it does Uh, we live that way. We don't preach to children and tell them you have, to, you have to believe in God, but by demonstrating love to children who've only ever seen the worst that human beings can do to each other, right. at some point, they will ask some of our team, why are you so nice to us? And that's when we get to say, well, we love you because we were first loved and here's by who, and here's what we mean by that. Great. Uh, and even just the, the, the notion of fearing God, because I grew up in, a, in the Anglican church, in the Episcopal Church, uh, maybe you'd call it, in, in Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland, like America, it's a pretty religious place. There's vibrant living faith there, but there's also a lot of a lot of religion there. And that, that, that fear is an interesting word because it can mean frightened of something, but most of the time when fear is used in the Bible, it means like uh, being awestruck, being, f- I'm, I'm on a in a small boat in a Wonder. big ocean. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you... Uh, you well, you just
0: bit. described all when being in Alaska, how exactly. it was so big and magnificent, and you were so small, but yet you were a part of it. And there's something awesome about awesome. that. Awesome, and you get to feel you feel right. small. It's like
1: perspective is pretty important. Yeah. Belfast, you may not know that, you may know this, but uh, the Titanic was built in Belfast. Yes, It was I un, did know unsinkable that. when it left Belfast. <laughs> Whatever the English did to it, but it was unsinkable <laughs> when it left when it left Belfast. Uh, whenever you see a ship that size. In, in, a, in a port, it looks vast. A cruise ship looks enormous. Right. Then when you see it on the ocean with waves, it looks so tiny. Yes. So uh, that's uh, that perspective I felt in, a, in Alaska sometimes. I feel it when I'm in almost anywhere in Africa sometimes because it's a vast expanse of land and creation. That's just, again, that word, the glimpse of the size and the splendor of creation that you miss if 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 it's me and my laptop or me and my phone all day. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, what well, Obviously you believe there is hope. I mean, we fe- a war raging in Ukraine, earthquakes, cataclysmic climate change. You obviously embrace hope, live hope. I, I and engender hope in many. What is your hope? For Many Hopes, and what is your hope for the globe, the whole world?
1: Hmm.
0: Matt, Matt loves a big question. I do. Uh,
1: so very much uh, believe in hope, on uh, the power of hope. Our, our internal definition of hope at, at Many Hopes is yes. a refusal to accept a situation the way that it is. Things can always be better. Uh, well, our hope for many hopes is that we expand to partnerships all around the world with the, with remarkable sacrificial people, serving their own communities and their own neighborhoods. Our hope for many hopes is that anywhere we've we ever work won't need outside charity one day. And my hope for the world is I'm not even sure how to phrase this. I mean, my core belief that you read, motivated by my strong Christian faith, that we're we're made in the image of God. We're made with many abilities, many gifts and many desires, but fundamentally we are made to be in relationship with our creator. And my hope is that everyone come to realize, understand and be that, because that is the most fulfilling, nourishing, deep, full way to live that I can imagine. We can pursue all the things that are great, but right. they won't satisfy us fully. There's that existential angst that something's not right. What is it? It's my relationship with my creator that's not right. Let's fix that, the rest will follow. I agree
0: with that. Well, thank you for being on Glimpses. Thomas, the world is a better place because you uh, created many hopes and I know you will continue to touch many lives through the years with your work and I am honored in any small way to be a part of your organization, so thank you. Well, you are, and thank you. And uh, we're honored to have you and this was fun. Thank you, Matt. Well, that's it for this podcast. Thank you for joining us on Glimpses. Uh, As you go about your day, I encourage all of you who are listening to take the time to look around and catch a glimpse. Yes and amen.